What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. In this episode, we're going to cover marketing artifacts and the website of Doom. So today's main takeaway is, well, who built this? Why did they build this? What was the purpose of this? Sometimes marketing can look a lot like archaeology, unearthing ancient relics, reverse engineering them, and trying to understand how they are used by our ancient ancestors. Like an ape discovering a tool for the first time, you look at them with a mix of bewilderment and awe. I didn't know we were so advanced back in 2011. <laughs> You've discovered a marketing artifact and the internet is full of them. Form submits that go to legacy email automation systems, blog posts written before the last ice age, and strategies for a trend that went extinct long ago. As marketers, we need to be experts at carefully extracting these artifacts, evaluating their worth, and deciding whether to revitalize them or to put them in the museum. <laughs> Honestly, you'll encounter this so much in your career, so we're going to chat about this and go into, in, into marketing artifacts a little bit. I love this topic, JT. I feel like uh, I love the picture that you, you've painted there. Marketing artifacts, like um, in the world of tech startups, there's so many marketers that only last like 12 to 18 months in their role before they're moving on to the next uh, great position. And, you know, while they're in the 12 to 18 months in that company, they make a bunch of content and maybe they write a bunch of emails, they create a bunch of nurtures, and then they move on and someone comes in to fill the role and maybe that person has been you i know i've i've worn that hat many times and this type of inheritance in is super common in in, in all areas of marketing and uh, this is a tricky situation right oh man nobody wants to join a marketing team and and inherit this big freaking mess and this is what <laughs> this is what happens all the time in in marketing where you join and you think i've got all these ideas i'm you know i'm head of marketing i've made it and then i'm gonna go do do my thing and maybe you're like me in two weeks before you start the job you've got a little break and then you're theory crafting on what you could do and then you join and you open up the cms and you open up the google analytics and whatever reporting systems and automation systems and you're like damn there's a lot of inertia here. There's a lot going on. Um, and here's the thing that I've noticed in my career is marketers and humans love to create net new. We all want to do it from scratch. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how many times like I go into an email nurture and I'm like, oh, it'd be so much easier if I could just write this. From scratch <laughs> yeah. this how does this it. work? Yeah. Like instead of figuring out how it works, like oh, I'm just going to start from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. And like, We've been programmed to think content is king and, and have responded by creating mountains and mountains of content. And the problem is, is that it just kind of goes out there. And the other problem that happens, I mean, people forget to maintain it, but then you look at it in like Google Analytics or something and you're like, oh, damn, it drives a bunch of leads or drives a bunch of sessions. Like, I can't kill this. And so we end up in this like weird in-between state, like I can't kill it. But why don't I create brand new and it'll be somebody else's pop, pop problem when you move off into a different company? <laughs> 
Yeah, nothing sucks the wind out of a new job like having to audit a huge system and figuring out that like this is incredibly messy and you need to spend like the first couple of months trying to clean up someone else's mess. Um, it, it's easy kind of like on, on the content content side of things to, to sweep things under the rug. Like if you look at GA and there's like a bunch of old blog posts that aren't generating any traffic, like whatever, like they're, they're still kind of alive as long as it's not, um, you know, uh, repurposed content and you're duplicating shit like i think uh, it's totally fine but when it comes to tech systems like specifically uh the marketing automation software um things can be a lot harder to clean up my favorite line is you know a brand new vp or cmo comes in and they're like Mar <laughs> marketo is shit we need hubspot here anybody know hubspot or hubspot shit we need marketo and we need to move this new system and it is it is brutal. Like uh, changing tech stocks is is a huge process. Uh, it takes months and months of work, and uh, it's always way harder than it looks on the surface. So you know we have this perception that tool X or tool Y sucks, and instead of just learning it and getting into it and understanding what the previous people have set up, um, we just want to abandon it. And I really want to emphasize this, like throughout this whole episode, like there's a lot of smart marketers out there. And they've probably put a lot of thought into how they have set things up. And you not putting any thought into how they've set things up does not mean it's a shitty system. It just means you haven't put any thought into it. Especially if you have no experience with like the existing system, like to come in on your first week and say that like, uh, no, nah, I'm actually not uh, a Marketo guy. I, I prefer to run HubSpot and blindly just like starting to make moves to, to run a migration. Like <laughs> I've actually seen this like very often senior leaders and you kind of describe this, but like they come in with like a certain familiarity around the tools that they've used in the past. And, you know, maybe those tools have worked really well for them because they had an expert that was like working with that tool and administrating them. Um, but yeah, like this demand to migrate in, in the next year to the tools that they're most familiar with is very typical for, for senior leaders. And I've, I've had the experience um, kind of all over the place in terms of like migration. Like I, I've had the experience of building out a fresh kind of completely underutilized instance of Pardot. Um, when I took over Marketo from you at Clifolio, like it was a beast at the time. And, um, when I got the keys, like there was a ton of stuff to uncover and learn. And funny enough, now that you're back at Clipfolio, uh, you were stuck kind of uncovering some of the webs that I tangled while you were gone. Um, but, you know, I've also had the migration side of things as well. When I was at Close, um, we we started off doing a huge migration out of HubSpot. So, you know, we ended up moving a bunch of tools out of HubSpot. So, you know, these, these migration projects kind of come and go in different companies that you're with. But yeah, it's definitely typical to see these senior leaders come in and demand a migration right away yeah and there's logical reasons to have a migration and and you know uh moving moving your automation system can make sense there's lots of good reasons to do that um but being a brand new leader and being unfamiliar with it at an organization is not one of those good reasons and you end up with these martech martech artifacts that are just littered all over your startup or all over your business and <laughs> You just think about this MarTech landscape of doom that we kind of make fun of on this show, but each of these vendors can easily be a failed trial. And you end up with these, these accounts, especially if they're free accounts that are emailing you, 
you know, forever. Like, oh, you know, you know how often Trello emails me or Asana emails me? And they're like, come back, come back, use my MarTech. And, I, and I'm like, oh, yeah, and I use it for a day and, and come back. And you, you, you do spend a lot of time in your career unearthing these things. And I think there's like a revolving door of projects that we're always going to have. You're always going to be refreshing existing content. You're always going to be talking about website migrations. You're always going to be dealing with marketing automation migrations. And it's just an inescapable part of it. Um, but, you know, one thing that really gets me is how underutilized mm-hmm. um, this existing software typically is. Like, I don't know how many times I've seen people just, you know, totally poop on a piece of software because it doesn't do functionality X, Y, or Z, but they never open the docs to see that it actually does it and it does it pretty well. Like, it just blows my mind um, why we don't make better use of our budgets. easier to buy five tools and to use the one to do those five things, I suppose. Um, and like, I'm, I'm, it was a pretty anal kid and I always like to say this, but like I was a type of kid who had to eat each portion on my plate before I moved on to the next thing. So it's like, oh, I got to eat that broccoli and then onto my <laughs> potatoes. And then I saved my chicken for last cause I like the chicken or whatever. Um, and I'm the same way. I try to be the same way as much as possible with MarTech. Right. Um, and it comes from being working with startups where you don't have endless amount of budget. Like I am utilizing HubSpot and, and bending it to my will in ways that, Probably I could buy another piece of software to do that, but at the end of the day, I want to be—I want to run lean. However, you don't need to run lean, and you got endless budget. I mean, hey, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the—I've seen a bunch of marketing automation tools underutilized. Honestly, I don't think I've ever worked um, or consulted with a company that they were using the automation tool to 100% of its capability. Like, mm-hmm. it's almost impossible, probably, unless you're like a, a massive enterprise. Like, um, you get players like Marketo and HubSpot that have so many features available out of the box. It's almost impossible for a, a small marketing team to use all of the features. And, you know, sometimes like all the features that are in like a, a HubSpot, for example, aren't necessarily as powerful as you would get from other tools that are like a niche solution for for that specific feature like um, let's take web personalization or like web forms for example hubspot has a, a blog cms and they have email automation they have forms they have a crm they kind of have something for everyone they're even in like the support side of things now as well that's that's a really great great way to have a, a mediocre tool if you're kind of everything uh, is average to please the average user um so at close, like when we migrated out of HubSpot, we use four tools instead of HubSpot, and they all give us features and powers that HubSpot alone could not. Um, and and so like we're we're using those individual tools like to uh, like the utmost capacity. And we we moved our blog, for example, to Ghost, which has a beautiful UX writing experience for our content team. Um, we moved our email automation to Customer IO. Uh, I'm a huge fan of ConvertFlow for forms, and we also looked at DriftRock, which is a UK startup that does this super well and obviously we use clothes for for our crm but these are like four or five tools that cost us less alone altogether than hubspot um cost us when we were just using that for for all of these things and hubspot was more expensive and it wasn't doing it as well as all of those individual tools are doing it so if you have a way of like tying all that data together um i i like this like points solution of like building a tech stack with like niche tools that you know do shit super super well as opposed to rolling out this like fancy platform that promises to do everything for everyone but once you actually roll it out you you can see that like you're not really going to be utilizing everything because it can't do everything the way you want it to 
Yeah, and I think that's such a good good case for when you when you take this marketing or martech artifact and you put it into the museum. Like we were HubSpot users, but now we found a way to cut costs and improve the process and the flow of these things by using four additional tools. Like we just need to think strategically about the tool sets that we have. If there's an opportunity to use something that's underutilized and perhaps is worth doing in that original tool, do it. Like I wouldn't, you know, no offense to HubSpot, but you wouldn't catch me dead using their project management tool. I just don't, it just doesn't jive with me. I'd like an Asana or a Trello. So you wanna use something that's that's useful to your flow, but have a really good reason for why you're doing these types of migrations. You know, like when we moved off of, you know, Marketo, Salesforce to HubSpot, we had a laundry list of very good reasons for this. So um, I think that's super important. We'd like shiny objects too. And I think there is this like sense of inertia that we do get, like it, it also swings the other way, right? Like you get stuck on these legacy tools that, you know, you sign in, you know, not to poop on Marketo, but Marketo, you know, oh, you open it up in front of people and it's a great way for people to think like you're some kind of master coder. They're like, oh my God, <laughs> only only like a super master coder could ma manage to work with a UI that this that is this terrible. Oh and man, like even opening that up in front of like the dev team, like hardcore developers would look at Marketo and like be afraid of it. Like no fucking way I'm getting close to that UI. <laughs> Yeah, no, they, they look at terminals all day and they and they run <laughs> screaming from Marketo. But you know, you get past the UI, there's still a lot of functionality there. Um, and I think this is this is something that's important and a point that I wanted to make is that I think, you know, you gotta identify the key is to identify areas where you wanna bring in your new tool. Um, check your existing tool set out. Can you make do with what you've got? You don't always have to make do. Again, if you're well-funded, go ahead. But you can also test and run experiments. Like there's no need, uh, and this is something that kind of irritates me is I see this all the time where it's like, well, it's shit and I'm not gonna try. It's like, you know, that phrase, I've done nothing and I'm all out of ideas. Like you gotta give it an honest shot, right? Like give it the boy scout or boy girl or a girl scout shot and see if you can squeeze something out. Like before you go deep dive onto like an amplitude or a mix panel, like, Maybe you could get the data out of Google Analytics and 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 get that anonymous level data. Sure, you want it on the on the user object and the contact objects. That's a different animal, of course. But you'd be surprised at how you don't have to look so far for for the answers that you seek. Yeah, totally. Um, but so let let's go back to the the migration thing a bit. Um, like when when we migrated out of uh, HubSpot, like one of the biggest uh, pain points from from my code of audit perspective was all the forms um, that I needed to migrate. And when when you're kind of um, taking over a new instance, this is something that you're going to audit as well. But um, what about like the web forms that submit to nowhere? Like <laughs> everyone has seen those, right? Um, Close had like 200 plus ebook and, and gated content forms that we needed to recreate and map to specific download assets. And like this was a huge project. And you know, thankfully, Close is a super um, well organized in that sense, and I, I didn't find any kind of like forms that submitted to nowhere. But like, this is the bane of um, email marketing's uh, kind of setting up new instances. Like, lots of companies don't manage these kind of form assets very well, especially during migrations. 
Oh man, forms is forms and forms everywhere. And the ability to create localized forms that are like bespoke and for a singular purpose of, yeah, you submit this, you get an, an offer and then it, you know, trickles into like a general campaign. This happens so often. It's not even funny in my Marketo consulting experience, like 200 plus forms is nothing. It's a, you know, it's a walk in the park. Like I've seen thousands of forms that all submit individually and then they're configured to workflows. And I think there's a, there's honestly a side point here around making sure like, uh, again, you don't have to be a developer to think like a developer, but how can you scale these things, right? If you can have a form and read off of the, you know, for instance, if you have a form that says, I don't know, 2021, April 2021 ebook, and and you can read off of, you know, the, the campaign, or you can read off of uh, like the landing page that it's used on. Can you use a global form? like form submit, like contents form submission. And then it's on a certain page and you listen to triggers. Like you've one form that could actually be extended and used and scaled in so many different ways. Um, you know, it's, it's actually super hard to find these forms on websites too, which is funny enough. Like you, you got to get a bit technical if you want to do, do find all these forms. And mm -hmm. I know this from my own experience, migrating off of Marketo, where there was all kinds of forms, you know, everywhere, sprinkled everywhere. Some were hard coded into the website. Some were like in, in extensible components and, and, and blocks that were easy to, easier to find. And shit, you'll still find people submitting forms months after you migrate off the system saying, where did my ebook go? You know, <laughs> and, and they're sent now they're clogging up support. And that's, that's when you know, you've messed up. You've screwed up when support telling you that somebody submitted a content form and it didn't get anywhere. You're giving um, me PTSD, JT. Oh man. Um, we've all been there. Ops land. This is, this is the fun of ops. So yeah, and enough about marketing ops. Uh, I know you wanted to, to spend a bit on like the website piece of this and we kind of teased that a little bit, but you spend a ton of time in, in SEO land and from talking with you, I know that you're, you're big on existing, uh, on updating existing content instead of always net new shit. Like let's look at what's like on page two or page three and see if we can give that a nice little boost uh, instead of just creating new content. So walk us through some of the advantages of that and, and how, how tricky that is when you're kind of uh, uh, inheriting some of these marketing artifacts on the web. Oh yeah. And I think like, I always think of that Simpsons line. I forget if it was like Charles Manson or something in prison. And he's like, if I haven't seen it, it's new to me. And I think <laughs> this is, this is something that happens a lot in SEO land where you're like, you know, has a customer seen this content that was written in 2012 and is it still relevant? And the, the instinct is to, again, because we're marketers, we love to create net new. I just say, because we're humans, we love to create net new is way easier. Like, oh man, like this piece of garbage written in, in, <laughs> in ancient times, like who would ever want to read this? So years ago, I actually ran an experiment and I, and I took, you know, probably about 20 different pages on, on our website. And this is, you know, my first run at Clipfolio um, and, you know, take Screaming Frog or some other audit tool, see how yeah. big our website is. We got a big website for, for a startup of our size. Huge. And, you know, what I found was of those 20 pages, when I update a single piece of content, and I'm talking like a decent content refresh, um, I could consistently move pages from the second page to the first page. So much so that it became like 60% of my SEO writing work was just updating existing content because I would get a massive lift. Like we're talking two to 400% lift on conversions um, and sessions and stuff like that. Like Fuck. 
why wouldn't you do that? Like, it's way easier for me to lift something from the second page to the first page than it is for me to lift it from, you know, from birth birth to the first page. Like, unless you are like, got amazing clout on on your website and you're talking in your domain area, it's it's uh, it's hard work. And so, and I say this all the time when I'm when I'm consulting or when I'm talking to team. Like SEO is like gardening. It's not as it's not sexy, right? People people think of SEO and think it's it's you know you get huge traffic. Of course you do, but you don't just get it like you would like advertising where you toss a huge budget at it and all of a sudden a mountain of people come to your website. Like it it does take time, and you just don't toss a bunch of seeds on the ground and expect them to grow. Like that would be pretty shitty farming. Um, you need to tend them. You need to go make sure that there's no weeds out there. You need to nurture them. You need to look into Google Analytics and see what's happening. Go to Search Console. You know, by God, even Google search, you know, the phrases that you're trying to rank for and take a look at them. For sure. And you'd be, you'd be surprised at how much you're rewarded for this. And I will say, last point on the SEO front here is just like this idea that the longer something is planted, the deeper the roots are. And I, you know, a lot of SEO is kind of like this pseudo technical stuff that, that you know, people kind of intuit about Google. What I'll say about this is like, I have historically seen that sites that are up longer, pages that are up longer, do tend to rank better. They build that trust and authority. You're not constantly changing the code base. You're not, you know, a pop-up overnight that is just trying to kind of transactionally generate a lot of revenue. Like, you're in it for the long haul, and Google starts to see that. They have a, I'm certain that they have a history of, you know, people clicking onto your site, so they know that, like, you've generated so many clicks. So you start to gain authority just by being around for a little mm -hmm. bit. Hmm. Being around for a while, letting those kind of roots grow big, letting the backlinks kind of back up. I, I like that. SEO is yeah. like gardening. What about uh, when the garden is overrun with weeds and the last gardener has skipped down? Oh, shit. I mean, you're talking about me. So I took a two year, <laughs> uh, I left Clifolio uh, in 2018 to go consulting and do some stuff. And I returned, I returned uh, in uh, late 2020. And I discovered that there was this guy named John Taylor who had created a ton of content on the portfolio <laughs> website. And the son of a bitch skipped town and um, <laughs> and left the, the website. It turns out a lot of other people created content on that website as well. So yeah, the, the, the temptation that I resist, and this is kind of a topical one for me, is just like not clear cutting. I mean, there is a temptation for it, and I resist it all the time of just like toss a whole website into the garbage bin and start over again. <laughs> um, because there are like valuable plants in there that you still want to look at. Yeah. And I want to say, like, you can totally kill content. I'm not saying don't kill content. It happens. You need to shut down a section of your website because it's thin content or it's shit or it's just not doing anything or your business has changed and it's no longer relevant to your position. Like, as an SEO, I think you need to get really good at determining. What pieces of content are core to your value proposition and and actually benefit the customer versus which pieces of content are you have there because they generate clicks? Mm -hmm. Like if you're if you're an SEO for a B2B company generating clicks for the sake of clicks, I think that you're missing the purpose of of the power of SEO. The power of SEO is being able to understand your user's journey, your your customer's journey and being able to provide helpful authoritative content throughout that journey. And the benefits of that are brand authority, brand recognition, legitimacy, and yes, 
conversions to you know paid customers or whatever whatever your conversion events are yeah i think that there's there's definitely a ton of value in this like um those second page assets and, and getting new assets from like page three or page four um all the way up to, to page two like this is a skill set that uh, a lot of marketers really need to work on yeah and i think it's a skill set like in my own career that i've worked on quite a bit and i i i bring this up as a topic for this episode because it's consistently looking at myself in the mirror and wondering what the heck i'm doing why am i trying to kill this content <laughs> and so i've made it a focal point of my own skill development to get good at you know looking and analyzing content and martech and making sure that the artifacts that we do maintain are actually maintained don't let dust collect on them but when it's time to sunset them make sure you have a strategic reason like you discussed with uh, my, the my the migration projects that you've done recently and i've done too you've heard it here folks as marketers we need to be experts at carefully crafting and extracting these artifacts when we're starting new roles and evaluating their worth and deciding whether to uh, keep them on the site or put them in a museum we'll uh, chat with you guys very soon episode was unintentionally funny <laughs> yeah completely agree i yeah. feel like I, at some point i had to like hide your face because i was gonna lose <laughs> into like a laughter fit when we were talking about marketo's ui yeah. <laughs> that'll get somebody